Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Okay. Hi, I'm Ella, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Ella. Hi, Ella. Hi. Um, I, hi, everybody. This used to be um, one of the first meetings I came to when I started in OA. And on June 16th, that will be 20, 28 years, I think. Or I came in in 1982. Is that... 28 years or 30, I don't know. Um, I'm not not doing the math, but I came in in 1982 and I was, oh, I think it's 38 years. Let's take up the whole recording doing this calculation. I, um, it's 38 years. And so that's kind of amazing. And, um, this meeting was at Alta Bates at that time. And it, you had to walk through the cafeteria to get to the meeting. So I always thought that was somewhat ironic. Um, and let's say that when I first came to OA, and this is for anyone who's new, I did not like it. I thought that it was a pretty low rent operation. And I was smart, yes, of course. And I had all these advanced degrees from higher institutions of learning. And I could not stop eating. I had tried everything. I think in a way it's lucky I got here um, when I was older because I'd already been through all the strategies that everybody purports to try. I mean, now they call them different. There's intuitive eating and there's all these various other schemes. But at that point it was, I, you know, I tried the fat is a feminist issue, big, beautiful woman. And I think that I just always want to say it's not an aesthetic issue and it's not a moral issue. This is not the problem. Um, You know, of course, When I started out, I thought the problem and every problem in my life was because I was obese. And it turns out that's not the case that that was the problem. That was a manifestation of a problem and it was a convenient excuse for why my life was not working. And um, as it turned out, it's the same when I came to program, I thought, well, if I just stop eating sugar, you know, my life will turn around. And definitely certain things improved, but we have a whole series of steps. And it's not all about, and and actually we stop eating in order to be able to practice these other spiritual principles. Because when my mind and body were clouded by all that kind of, you know, by that food, by bad nutrition, by just obsession with food, I could not focus on anything else. In fact, I could not really see the things that bothered me. And that actually may be the good news and the bad news. The bad news being that it's not just about the food. And the good news being that we have a program that deals with the rest of that. And it's a program that requires a lot of bravery and a lot of honesty 
but we also have each other and lots of support and encouragement along the way. So I, I just want to say, no, it's true. I did not like the, the program when I came. I did not like the first meeting. I did not like the room. I did not like the holding of the hands. I did not like the Lord's Prayer. You know, they said, take what you like and leave the rest. And I was leaving an awful lot. And, but one thing happened, and I do tell this story, which was that I, uh, there was a literature raffle, and in the raffle, I won the big book. And I never win raffles. I do not win things like that. I don't win lottery tickets. I don't win raffles. But I, I won the big book, and I came home with the big book. And I thought, well, <clears throat> I have it. I guess I'll open it. And when I opened it and I read the doctor's opinion and I read that it was not all these psychological reasons that were the problem and that I had basically, which I'd always known, an addiction to food. And I mean, I don't know. It was just like the truth of my life was confirmed in reading that book. And so... I'll start by saying the tool of literature was very important for me, especially reading the stories of recovery that were in the big book. And I'm, it's not like I'm, you know, quote unquote, a big book thumper, but, you know, just like uh, the music of the 60s, which was the music that, you know, totally wrapped my mind in, in delight, that's still the music I think is fabulous. I don't think anybody sings like the people sang then that I remember. So there's a certain kind of way in which the big book and the literature of AA really spoke to me. And I don't know, I mean, I guess I'm, you know, used to read medieval literature. So I was pretty good at ignoring anything that seemed outmoded and out of date. But what I got was people who were at the bottom of the barrel, people who were murderers, thieves, you know, complete wrecks, turned their lives around by being in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what I needed to hear. I needed to hear that people who lived in the gutter, which was where I lived with food, um, had stopped. So those stories at any given point were a great source of comfort to me because I had tried so much and failed so many times. The second thing that happened, the second tool, was um, that I went to a meeting, I went to a second meeting, and a woman spoke there. And I always like to say, which is ridiculous because uh, I'm older than she was now, but you know, I said, oh, there was this little old lady and um, she, she smoked cigarettes and wore little slingback high heels. And, um, but she, she was, I don't know, you know, she was, she was the person who in some ways, trans my relationship with her transformed my life because I'd been studying with all these great spiritual teachers you know, I'd been going on these retreats, uh, da, 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 da. What was I going to learn from this person who lived in a little house in Oakland with chintz slipcovers? And, um, you know, I just don't know. But somehow calling her every morning at 8.40, 7.45, calling her every morning at 7.45, no cell phones, 
Um, it just changed my life because there was something about, oh, love isn't about finding an ideal person who's perfect, who never says anything that bothers you. You know, love is about this constancy and this decision and this commitment and this showing up, which is what began to happen in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. All, I mean, there were people in the beginning who, when they shared, I had to get up and go to the bathroom. You know, I just couldn't be in the room. That was my opinion. And then sooner or later, I could sit in the chair. And sooner or later, I could listen and I could think, wow, you know, this is something. And this, you know, so we'll go to meetings. This was life transforming. I think Father Terry, um, who's one of those recovering alcoholic priests or recovered alcoholic priests, who's just such a hoot, um, would say that nothing so purifies the soul as sitting in meetings with people that you can't stand. And I just thought, oh, thanks a lot. But um, I think it's like discovering what is it in me that can't stand this person? Um, and not, you know, when there's one finger pointing out, there's four fingers pointing back at you, but like really what is it? What's getting me? And um, that those things, are they're important for me to learn because do I want to go through, I mean, I spent so much of my early life and you know, it was the times in righteous indignation. And I love to feel righteously indignant. I mean, there's been quite a bit of opportunity for that lately. And I can wake up in a snit and a pox on everybody. You know, there's not anybody who's escaping my wrath. And, um, you know, that's kind of enjoyable, but it's really in the long run not going to achieve anything. And um, it's a fleeting pleasure. And, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's an outside issue, but anyway, it's a specialty of the left to be righteously indignant at all times. And um, without it, um, it can't function. So in any case, we'll pass on any more of that. That's not the tool of the program. But by going to meetings, by reading the literature, by having this sponsor, by having a certain consistency, and I think you know, people are always saying the tools are kind of- Hello, a, that's 10 minutes. The tools are sort of a junior thing, you know, and the thing is the steps and, and the tools are just like, you know, well, if you can't think of anything better to do. Um, but for me, they were very important because I don't understand how I, the person who I thought I was, became willing to do certain things, like make phone calls. And then also, there was a person who kind of took it on herself to call me uh, as a newcomer. And she's not here anymore. She was, she was definitely not a full deck person, you know? Um, and so she, it was a little bit strange when she first started calling me. And I was like, oh, here it comes. But then, I don't know, it, it might have been about two or three months. And I thought, oh, she's calling. I was missing her calls. I wanted them. How did that happen? I don't know. It wasn't anything I did. I just sat there on the receiving end of a powerful tool because the most important, not the most important, but a very important part of the program is we do not do this by ourselves. 
So all these things, meetings, sponsorship, phone calls, the, or whatever text, I like phone calls. I like that voice, you know, it's, it's a little harder to hide when you're talking to someone, but they're designed to connect me. And today, the telephone is so important to me because, or the, yeah, usually it's the phone, because I need to hear the, the stuff I'm thinking often when I'm, or I need to hear somebody else say, oh, me too, I do that all the time. And I'm always shocked. You, you really lovely person, you have these judgments as well as me. Yes, it's a me too program. We all have a lot of similarities and that is a very healing thing. So where else are we? We have service, which is the primary, you know, it's a primary purpose or the primary purpose. And that sense of being of use, which is what um, I think we're promised, a life of sane and happy usefulness. And, you know, in the third step, we're asked, or I'm asked to be relieved of the bondage of self. And one of that, those ways is I've, I've become of use to other people. And it doesn't matter how broken I am, how messed up I am how bad my program is, what I've eaten, what I haven't eaten, I can still be of use. And I can be of use in the world. And that I learned that by being of use, I didn't feel deprived. I didn't feel anything was taken from me. In fact, I felt like more, I had more, you know, um, that there's something very, there's something interesting about that phenomena. The more I give away in service, the more I receive. And it's not um, a diminishment of me. And um, so I just, I encourage that of everybody, every newcomer, no matter what. Um, we can't put away chairs right now, but you can train to become a Zoom host. That's, that's a fun thing. Uh, and also just, we can call each other. We have our um, virtual, we care pad in the chat, we can call each other and, you know, just say, hi, how are you? Or, you know, this is what's going on with me. So I think that for me, these tools were a gateway into the principles of the program and they were concrete actions I could take. And even as a newcomer, when I felt I couldn't do anything else, I could take them. And I'll speak briefly about the food plan because I could not follow the food plan when I came in. It took me many, many years to get a consistent, um, what should we say, a consistent separation from the entanglement with the food. You know, like the food was kind of like a very bad relationship in which there was a little bit of a payback and I kept on trying to get that payback and, or is it payoff? Well, anyway, there was, a, there was something useful and I still was trying to get it. And I think a, it's a good way to begin. And it, the, you know, people are always saying, well, I don't want to have a strict food plan. And I was saying, well, wh why don't we just have a clear one? Or let's just have a framework. It doesn't have to be that, you know, everything is set down to the last, <clears throat> ounce and gram 
it has to be that I have some kind of boundary around it. I know what's a beginning. I know what's an end. And, <clears throat> you know, he says, well, you know, I, I have to eat. I can't stop eating. I say, well, I can't stop binging. I can't stop overeating. I mean, I always used to think, isn't it unfair that all these other people can eat what they want and they are not obese? Well, they didn't want to eat entire cakes, entire bags. In, you know, they didn't want to have a midnight snack that consisted of four meals. So I just had to get real around that. And I, I, don't, I don't know what's right for anybody else. I only know what works for me. And, <clears throat> but I knew, do know that it's okay to have a plan. Like, I don't think any of us objects to other things being scheduled and occurring when, we say that, when they say they're going to occur. Like, no one really gets upset if the plane is not delayed. You know, you don't say that, oh, they're rigid over there at the airline. You just say, well, good. They're following the schedule that we came here to, to you know, that we hoped would happen. So I don't know really what else I want to say, except that it is a program of action, you know, that we're told that we don't think ourselves into recovery. We act. And that taking these little actions, making the phone calls, and you know, reading the literature, doing the service, practicing anonymity, all those things, they, they just give me something to do that I can feel good about. And I'm just going to finally close by saying that, you know, nowhere in, in the big book does it talk about working the steps. It talks about taking them, practicing them, uh, living my life according to those principles. You know, it doesn't, you know, say get out that, you know, pickaxe and start working the steps. Uh, but so the tools are a useful set of actions that bring me into alignment with the steps. You could say that the food plan is something brings me into an alignment with the sense of powerlessness, that reading the literature and working with the sponsor can help restore me to some kind of sanity, um, that service and all, and that, um, well, we'll just say service for now and anonymity, bring me in line with the third step. And we can go on and on like that. But um, they're, they're, they're practical things to do. Two more minutes. There are practical things to do while I'm not eating because when I uh, start started when I started stopping overeating, I had an awful lot of time on my hands, and you know it was boring in between meals or unnerving. So the the phone, the literature, another meeting, those were all very helpful to me. And they still are, you know, with the shelter in place that I don't have as many activities out of the house, uh, you know, going to all the Zoom meetings, it's helpful. It's good to be connected. We're, I feel like we're very fortunate um, that people, you know, that I can be present with all of you many times a day if I want to be. So I don't know if anything I've said is helpful. I do know 
that probably the most helpful thing anybody can say is just keep coming back, put one foot in front of the other, no matter how many times I fell down and over eight, just to start one more time, no recriminations, no self-flagellation, no, oh my God, no shame, no blame, none of the, not all oh, that is just extra. So um, we get to have a plan around that too. Anyway, um, I'm so glad I'm here with all of you. And um, thanks a lot for inviting me to share. <laughs>